Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. In a recently released book called Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health, researcher and author Susan Salinger examines the ways in which women manage and sometimes even mismanage their health care. And I am thrilled that I actually have the author, Susan Salinger, with me today to discuss this very important topic. So thank you, Susan, for joining me today. Well, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, as women, I say all the time to parents, it's so important that we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. But it's true that most women will you know, put others first before they really take care of themselves. So my first question is, what prompted you to write Sideline and why you feel that this was an important book to write? Well, I had a very unfortunate experience, my gosh, many years ago, like 40 years ago, even. I agreed to have some exploratory surgery that I knew I didn't need. And I not only did I agree to it, but I agreed, I want, I insisted it be done sooner rather than later. So anyway, I had the surgery, everything was fine. He had switched medications and I, I had some symptoms. I got, went back on my old medication and, you know, was fine. But I should have, there were so many should have. I mean, I should have insisted that we wait and see. I should have insisted we go back on the old medication to see what, if anything was changed. I should have insisted on a second opinion. I mean, I could go on and on. But, you know, life goes on. I was a young mother myself with, with you know, little kids. So I went, I forgot the whole thing and just that's that's the way it was. And then years later, when I retired, I went back to school and took some medical anthropology classes. And I was fascinated, number one, to see, to find out all of this information about women's health, some of which or much of which I incorporated in the book, but also academics write for each other. So this information wasn't getting out there. And then in addition, I did a project for one, on, for one of my classes on, and interviewed some women who had hysterectomies. And much to my surprise, many of them had agreed to the surgery and they didn't really think they needed it either. So, of course, that led me to the much larger question of how do we as women make our medical decisions? So then <laughs> I interviewed, I don't know, 40, 50, maybe even 60 women, all with different diseases. And I wanted to know. How, I was not interested in the disease. I was interested in how we behave when we're ill, how we take care of ourselves, how we decide what to do, et cetera. So that's kind of the long way around. I think it's fascinating that you interviewed so many women. And I'm curious, was there a common theme that you saw or what were the hurdles that you noticed in these women knowing that they were um, their health care was different. It was different, you know, procedures or different women, different doctors, et cetera. 
Yeah, there were several common themes, and I found that actually fascinating because, again, I want to reiterate, all their diseases were different. But one of the things that I did find, I think you and I talked about it earlier, is that women really put their own health care last. We're so busy taking care of others. In fact, I think women do like over 80 percent of all the caretaking in the world. I mean, that's amazing. Um, there was a study done, you'll like this, there was a study done where they gave women a list of five things and asked them to prioritize them. You know, what would they take care of first? And first, most all of the women really said they take care of their children. Then they take care of their pets. I loved that. Yeah. Then elderly parents, which being an elderly parent wasn't such good news for me. But anyway, then their significant other and last but not least, or maybe it is least themselves. And I strongly maintain that you really are doing your family a disservice besides yourself, because if you don't feel well and you're irritable and you're fatigued and you don't have much appetite, it makes it really difficult to take care of other people. And there's been a lot of new research lately that's that's come out about how caretakers are really caretaking is really can be a health problem for women. Women who are caretakers take longer to recover from illness, have more cardiovascular issues, et cetera. So you're truly doing yourself a disservice if you don't take care of yourself as well. I put myself first and I'm very close with my children. But I mean, now they're they're adults, so it's meaningless. But uh, it wasn't at the time. I mean, when I came home from work, I had to have a few minutes to myself. Um, even if it was just three minutes, but I needed to regroup and refocus. And that really helped me. I can, I have a thought about that. It reminded me of a mom who said that she sits in her car for about five minutes before she walks in and she's like, is that bad? And I'm like, no, that's great. Because the other part of doing that is you're also not bringing in the stress and the exhaustion that you may have been dealing with through the day into the house. And so, because it does become a trickle-down effect, but we're conditioned this way. And and I love that your book addresses the that cultural aspect of it and the fact that women in general are conditioned to accept this role, but also, right. you know, and I, I mean, my absolute most favorite thing and what brings me joy is spending time with my family, but I'm not going to have that time with them if I don't take care of myself and for the long term, you know, not to mention the fact of being effective day to day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't feel well, as I was saying earlier, it, it, it messes everything up to, you know, that wasn't very articulate, but you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I do. I do. And I think many people listening are going to resonate with this. What do you feel? I mean, we're talking about kind of the stress of the day to day and, you know, probably someone's out there thinking or many out there thinking, well, it sounds like a great idea and I know I need to do this, but I'm just too stressed out, you know, but that stress in and of itself has an impact on our health. Absolutely. Yeah. What is your research in how stress plays a role in women's health and why you think that is? Stress plays a huge role in women's health. And one of the things I, I found that really surprised me, probably surprised me the most of all of my research, was the shame and guilt 
that women felt around becoming ill. And the reason they felt so ashamed and so guilty is because so many of them blamed their illness on stress and their inability to handle it. So when they became sick or if they became sick, they felt that that being ill was almost like a public announcement. Oh, look at me. I'm sick because I can't manage my life. And so they were very embarrassed. They were ashamed. Some hesitated to call the doctor because they felt that the doctor had real patients who had real problems. You can't see me. Nobody out there can see my quotes. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but I think that that it, it really had, can do a great deal of harm to our health. And so many of the women I, I, I talked with felt that way. What I they put like, themselves for breast cancer even. Yeah. I mean, I what I hear you saying is that, yes, as a physician, I know, you know, stress increases cortisol. It can affect right. our sleep, our appetite, like so many things. But what you're also saying is that there is also, when when we do become ill because of our circumstances, whether it be mental or physical, et cetera, that women are, like you said, just they're very cautious and feel bad about themselves, which is just this vicious cycle. Well, and I think you can help me here with my statistics if I'm wrong. But, you know, there's so many illnesses out there. And I think, number one, we forget that illness is random. We forget that some people get COVID and some don't, or that some alcoholics get liver disease and some don't. I mean, I'm not saying that self-care isn't important because, as I just mentioned, it's vitally important and certainly impacts our health. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people that do get ill with like lung cancer, even though they don't smoke. I mean, it, it happens all the time. So we really only have some control over what happens. And I think the second thing that's important to realize is there's about, I don't know, 20, 30, 40,000 diseases out there. And as a doctor, you know, correct me, but I think sometimes arriving at a diagnosis is incredibly difficult. I mean, sure, if you break your leg and you go in and you complain, you know, complain of leg pain, that, you know, that's not brain surgery. But by the same token, you know, everybody feels tired. Everybody feels, loses their appetite, doesn't sleep well. I mean, those symptoms can be, out of the 20 or 30,000 diseases could be, you know, 80% of them. So it's really hard. And so you really just can't say, oh, well, it's stress. There may be all kinds of reasons and all kinds of reasons behind your diagnosis. Um, and you really only are guessing at a small part of it. It's, it's not a safe thing to do. It puts off, you, you put off your own health care because of it. What's an interesting statistic, and I know you talk about this in, in your book, is that Women, though, are typically the medical gatekeepers for their family, and they tend to be extremely conscientious about wanting to take care of themselves. You know, they choose their doctor carefully, as um, when I read through, like, a discussion with your book and visit right. them more frequently than men, and they really stay on top, yet at the same time, they tend to undermine their own care because of that focus on family, et cetera. So I'd be curious to ask, how can women focus their doctor visits so they get more of what they need out of the visit? And do you notice any difference between how a, a, a provider would treat a woman versus a man okay. and vice versa, a woman would be seeing a man or a woman doctor and if there's a difference? 
That's kind yes. of a multi-question. Let's start no, with... No, I got it. Yeah, let's... I think I got it anyway. <laughs> um, a couple of things. Number one, it's so true what you had mentioned earlier, that women do go to the doctor more than men do. And we do choose our doctors carefully. And we stay on top of, of all of the health information that we can. But we're also strong believers in preventive care. When it comes to ourselves and when it comes to, oh, my gosh, I think I don't feel well, I think I might be sick, then the shame and guilt come in. And I think that's part of our hesitation and large part of our hesitation to visit the doctor. But when we go to the doctor, I do think that there is a care difference. And I think it's important to note that. And I think one of the reasons is that women, um, when we describe our symptoms, we talk, we describe them quite differently from how a man does. A man is, when a man goes in, he's much more objective, much more stoic, much more technical. He, he goes in with the impression or the feeling that he and the doctor are a team and they're going to problem solve together. When women go in, they talk about, and I, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, we talk about, I tell my doctor the whole story. Not only do I describe my symptoms, but I tell him how it's interfering with my life and it's making me depressed and I go on and on. And so I think one of the things that happen, and, and I think this is one of the reasons that women sometimes tend to get a psychological diagnosis rather than an organic one. There was a really interesting study done where they had a, gr a group of doctors and they had some women, it was fictitious, but they pretended to be a group of women patients and a group of men patients. And both of the men and the women had exactly the same risk, cardiac risk factors and exactly the same symptoms that indicated they might be having a heart attack or were up for a heart attack quickly, you know. And so when, when the doctors looked at these scripts, the men and women received exactly the same diagnosis for a cardiac workup. But as soon as stress was introduced into the script, only 15% of the women were instructed to get a cardiac workup, whereas all of the men were. So as soon as doctors hear stress or hear that we're unhappy, and you know, it's hard to, don't forget, women do suffer from stress, anxiety, depression more than men do. And so your doctor may be blowing you off, but also they may not be. You really, it, it could be accurate. And it's really hard for the doctor to know. And frankly, it's hard for you to know. Um, what I would do in a case like that is absolutely get a second opinion. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just say, oh, okay, I'm depressed and take an antidepressant. That I would not do. How, it, did that answer you? Yes, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate it because it's interesting for me as a pediatrician, even though I work with many, many women and fathers in my practice, I mean, that's what, I mean, I love the kids, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times when people say, why did you go into pediatrics? I, I really do enjoy working with the families, with the parents and, and doing what I can to help them live their best lives. And so what I hear you saying is that... Um, a lot of times we we have we're always advocates for others but we really need to be an advocate for ourselves and not always accept you know answer a b you know and just right. okay this is what they said i mean i'm a physician so i get it i you know a lot of times i offer a diagnosis and and a recommendation but being able to speak up because truly as physicians we're not always we're not really taught initially, and it's something I'm working on right now, number one, to make sure that we know what kind of impact 
this has on the lives of, of women and their family, but also understanding exactly what is recommended and why, and, and to ask, like, how do you feel about trying this medication? Or how do you feel? Um, many times I work into my language and communication with families where I say, how do you feel about this plan or blah, blah, blah. But I also, before I even get into it, I'll say some people have an idea already of what's going on. And I think many times we're afraid to speak up and say, this is what I think it is. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And I think also what really one of the things that blew me away in my research is that only 15% of women will tell the doctor when they don't understand something. So that means that 85% of us leave that office or televisit or whatever it is, not really understanding what we've been told. And that is not, that's not healthy. (laughs) No, I'd be curious then if you know, of the 85%, how many just go ahead and do what they're told to do without really knowing versus then or not doing it, which both are worse because if they truly yeah. do need to, to do it, then their outcome could be, you know, worse. But at the same time, doing, you know, taking action without really understanding. So I'd be interested to see like what percentage of... of And I I actually don't know. But what I do know is that women are prescribed more medications than men are. Mm -hmm. And we fill more prescriptions, but we comply less. I see. Um, I see. Yeah. So compliance is a... I was going to... In fact, it's interesting. I was going to write a book on compliance. There's so much material. And I mean, it's just... It's unwieldy. Compliance is a huge issue, which I had no idea. Well, Um, it's true. It's true. But I feel many times compliance is an issue because as a provider, and I'm not throwing all providers out there, if you're listening under the bus, take take it as a, a tool in your toolbox. But look, really investigating the story, knowing also what barriers, because compliance isn't always just about well, I'm not going to do it, or I didn't really understand, so I'm not going to do it. Sometimes compliance can be because they really don't have a way to get to the pharmacy or- Sure. Oh, absolutely. So on. So if you don't ask, if we don't tell, then that that piece of the puzzle in in managing our own healthcare and even helping your doctor manage you better is is missing. And so, uh, yeah. I'll tell you a story of what happened to me, because I think that really one thing doctors can do is really discuss the benefits and risks of the particular treatment that they're prescribing. For example, I, I, I rarely have any pain. I'm one of the really lucky ones. I have zero pain, except one day, you know, I woke up with a very sore thumb and I didn't think much about it, but it lasted about a month. And I thought, I'm 80 years old, stuff happens when you're 80. So I, I mean, I've never been 80 before, so I didn't know. <laughs> Um, so I thought to myself, you know, what should I do here? So I finally went to the doctor and she said, you know, you have arthritis of the thumb and prescribe some medication. And I asked, I'm, I'm on Lexapro for depression. My husband recently passed away. Sorry. And so I said, does, um, does it interfere with the Lexapro at all? And she said, no, 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 not an issue. Well, because of my book and who I am now, went home and researched it. And she was mostly right. It didn't, it didn't interfere, except there was a 1% chance that patients have had brain bleeds. 
Well, now, which would you rather have, an arthritic thumb or risk of brain bleed? Now, it's true it's only 1%, but I mean, I did not comply, is my point. Yeah, I, um, I understand what you're saying, and I and I hear it, and um, and that is that is valid. It's always like just the balance of what what do I want? Do I want the risk of the medicine versus a risk right. of, uh, or not the and risk? I, but I had spent the money and bought the medication and stopped at the pharmacy and then threw it out. I mean, you know, I should have researched first. That was my error, but nevertheless. I understand. I do. Yeah. So what are some tips that we can tell women? You know, I think we can all agree that this is something that we need to be more aware of you know, globally, but also individually. So what are your top three tips for women who do want to better manage their health and decision-making capabilities? Well, I'm going to cheat and give you four. Okay. <laughs> the, the first one is that you absolutely, I really, really strongly feel that getting a second opinion is important. And since that was really my fourth tip and I put it first, I won't go into it, but that's chapter two in my book and it's really important. But I think the best thing to do is when you go to the doctor, this is really to make your doctor visit worthwhile. And I don't want you to be whoever you are, one of the, the group of women, part of the group of women that don't understand. So go in with a written agenda. I mean, and I, I don't mean one in your head. I mean, one that you've actually taken a pencil or put on your phone and you've prioritized so that you have a list. Because what happens, at least if you're like me, you get so anxious that half the, half of what I want to say flies out the well, flies out of my brain. I don't know. It goes just gone. So I, I absolutely write down what I want to bring up. And then I ask for the clinical name of my disease. And that enables me, if I have access to the internet or a computer, to go home and research it. And does the, does the, what the doctor said, does my diagnosis, in my opinion, now that I know what to look up, fit the, fit, fit what I've got? Does it feel comfortable to me? That will help compliance with the medication, incidentally. And then thirdly, I always put in my own review in my own words what I heard the doctor say. And that's for two reasons. I want to be sure I understood. And I also want gives the doctor a chance to be sure that he or she said what, what she meant to say and or to confirm that, yes, I did hear or didn't hear correctly. And she can correct what I misheard. So I think those things are really important. And there's just one little one, maybe five. Don't introduce a new problem at the end as the doctor starts to walk out the room. Because you won't get the right, you won't you won't be satisfied with the answer. Yeah, it's, so those I, are the pretty specific. <laughs> I love the last one because as a physician, we call that the "oh by the way" is your hands on the yes. doorknob, and so yes. you're you're actually helping your physician by 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 not being afraid to list everything. They might right. not be able to go over every single thing on their list, but hopefully, as well, you can say of all these things, this is something in this visit. That is most important to me, right? Because many times, what's important to us as patients, and what in your list might seem important to the doctor, can be totally different. So I love that tip as well. Thank you. Yes, another. Uh, I was on another doctor show, and she said, as she did get a by the way, as she was out the door, and the patient said, "Well, I have a small mole on my back." Well, of course, that was the most important thing that should have been said first. And if there had been a list that she said she would have caught it and treat and looked at it immediately. So you're 
Absolutely. You're not the only one that said that. Well, what's interesting too is many times in my practice, I love when they have a list, quite honestly. And I feel like the visit is more efficient overall. You know, don't feel like you're going to be burdening the, the doctor. To me, I know, okay, this is my, these are the lists. I try to find out what's the most important thing. And then we set an agenda together, what's important to them, what's important to me, and then we right. carry on. But I old, but I do find, and I want to mention this, is that a lot of parents, they take out that list and they're embarrassed. They're like, I got a list, you know, and I'm like, yes. I yes. love it. But I would imagine that in your research, you would find that. So don't be afraid, as Susan and right. I are, are telling you, don't be afraid, bring that list And it could be for yourself. It could be when you're taking a parent in. It could be when you're taking your children. It It focuses the whole thing. There's a, you know, you get done, you both get done what you need to get done. And I think that that's a different way of looking at it. It's not a burden, which is what you're saying. It's, It's a help. It's an aid. Well, I am so grateful that we've had this opportunity to to talk and bring up such an important topic because it, it is important. We, you know, like you said, they we tend to be the pioneers and make a lot of the healthcare decisions for our families. So we need to take care of ourselves. How can people find your book, buy your book, so that they can learn more about managing and preventing mismanagement too. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon. It's in all bookstores. It can be ordered. And one of the things I didn't mention and should have in terms of the research is there's a wonderful resource list at the back of the book. It tells you how to research and where to research. That's in some ways the most important part of the book because it gives you the tools to do what you need to do to make sure you get the best health care. Thank you. That's really good to know. And so I just want to remind everybody, the book is called Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. Thank you again, Susan. And I wish you well and appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up With Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.